Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. During this very unique moment in our history, the public health crisis, the historic racial tensions, and of course, the dramatic economic uncertainty, a mayor of any town, small or large, is in an unenviable position in that they have to make policy and in general are oversight and leader in their towns and cities, but they're also directly connected to their constituents and their citizens and down on the ground, if you will, with them directly. I'm Chris William, and welcome to the longest running and the most widely watched source of Carolina business policy and public affairs seen across the Carolinas for 30 years now. In a moment, the mayors of Charlotte, Raleigh, Columbia, and Georgetown. And we start now. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, a panel discussion featuring Mayor Vi Lyles of Charlotte, North Carolina, Mayor Marianne Baldwin of Raleigh, North Carolina, Mayor Stephen Benjamin of Columbia, South Carolina, and Mayor Brendan Barber of Georgetown, South Carolina. Welcome again to this dialogue and thank you again for supporting and joining us now from their separate but safe locations are the mayors of Charlotte, Raleigh, Columbia, and Georgetown. Your honors, welcome to this dialogue. I'll start with a broad question. You are in a, we said earlier in, this, in the opening of the show, you're in a very unique position that you are down on the ground with the folks that not just you govern, but you live with. You, you feel them, you are connected to them, but that, yet you're still senior leadership. So uh, maybe, uh, Mayor, Mayor Lyles, I'll start with you. What, what issue of all the acute issues now looms largest for you and with you? For me right now, it's um, race and social justice. Um, the difference is, at one time when I became mayor, I thought that if we did affordable housing and we had adequate public transportation, things would work. But the overarching lens that I have to look through for every decision now is whether or not it relates to the idea of resolving the racial um, divide in the city, as well as a solution for that by doing it in the, um, one of the guiding principles has got to be equity now equity between the races and equity in our city. Hmm. Anyone else? 
I'd be happy. You know, I'd say, um, <clears throat> and, I, and I, I obviously agree with um, Vi, like, like I usually do. Uh, the, um, the reality is that it's amazing being a mayor on any given day. Uh, but in, in the first several months, first two quarters of 2020, um, feels like you're in 1918, 1932, and 1968, all wrapped up into a few months of the year. Uh, and that's in addition to the issues that we normally deal with, infrastructure development, economic development, or the budget issues because of the pandemic. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing that we're dealing with all these things at the same time. And for me, I will tell you the issue that, quote unquote, keeps me up at night, as my friend Joe Riley, the longtime mayor of Charleston, would say, is right now, it's, it's simply, it's the uh, one true north, the preservation of human life. Uh, what, what is it that I can do each day as mayor to make sure that my citizens stay alive, that they stay healthy? And, and the decisions that we make now uh, seem to be relegated so often to, to data-based decisions. And I think it's incumbent upon us every single day to try to humanize those decisions and make sure that we're keeping our people healthy safe and, and, and prospering in every aspect of what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, Steve, that's really an important thing to do and to think about this because it isn't just about what we do passing an ordinance or creating some program. What it really means, are you addressing the ability for people to live? When I became mayor, I had no idea I'd be dealing with things like a pandemic. I'd be dealing with issues on police reform. All of these things are new, and you're right. It carries through in our country. The impact is taking place in our urban centers, and we're dealing with the issues of making sure communities and our cities can survive all of the things going on now. Uh, let, let, let me go to Raleigh for just a second. Mayor Baldwin, hold on just a second, Mayor Barber. I want to give you both, a, 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 and come back to this idea that you said racial equity is important, Mayor Lyles. Mayor Baldwin, uh, Raleigh, no doubt, experienced some, some very acute, uh, very scary violence during some of the protests. Coming out of that, how do you keep alive the momentum around racial equity, around the, the feeling following the, the very tragic George Floyd death? How do you make sure that doesn't get lost in the shuffle that Mayor Lyles just talked about with all of these other things facing? Well, one of the things that we have talked about a lot is, you know, taking action steps. So people see that we are recognizing this issue. We, um, we named a police advisory board that will help with policy. We hired um, an external organization to look at our response um, to the protest and to the riots. Um, they're looking at our use of force policies. We, um, are trying to take those steps necessary. The challenge in all of this is we cannot fix in two weeks 200 years of injustice. We cannot fix 200 years of poverty. We cannot fix 200 years of systemic racism in two weeks. It's going to take time and there is so much pressure and sense of urgency. So what I'm trying to do, what our council is trying to do, is look at short-term steps we can take, but look at the long-term steps we can take. I, I know, Vi, you mentioned you know, housing and transportation and whatnot. That's all part of it, um, but it all contributes to where we are today. And that's the complexity of it. Mayor Barber, how do you characterize that? Well, the way we do it here, and you know, we're a smaller municipality, so therefore, um, the people that I see every day, I basically have a connection, know the families and what have you. But here, when we start talking about uh, racial injustice, 
uh, rather it's on the scale of, of economic development or our criminal justice system. All those things equate to how do we uh, serve our masses, particularly those that do not have a voice here within the city of Georgetown. So what we've done here in Georgetown, and, and we can't fix it overnight because it comes down to fundamentally having a very hardcore um, sit down talk about what, what really is the truth as far as, far as what's racial equality. Um, how, do we, how do we bring together those that have been um, disenfranchised? Um, I've, I'm a child of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, so I, I've seen it all. I understand the pain and the hurt. And in our dialogue, I'm in a position now where I have to deal with whether you're blue or whether you're red. I mean, these issues have, have come to the forefront. And when we look at the protests, when we look at the young people coming together, our dialogues have to be true. More importantly, um, you know, we have to sit down, we have to mobilize, but after we mobilize, we have to go ahead and implement things that are really going to level the playing field. Folks talk about um, protests. Protests is all fine and good, but what I want to protest is make sure that um, my credit score has the same justice or equal value that yours as a majority um, person within this, in this community. So let's look at credit scores. Let's look at job opportunities. Here in South Carolina, for every, for every dollar that a, a white male makes, a black male makes uh, 59 cents. Mm -hmm. So let's lay it level the playing field from an economy standpoint. These are the things that we have to deal with here in our town as far as how do we get racial justice across the board, addressing everything that we need to in this country until we can have a heartfelt take everything off the table and really have a true dialogue and put things in place to make that happen. Um, you know, as a mayor, I'm just out there um, at this time putting ordinance in places and also bringing folks together, but we have to have an honest dialogue on race relation and what race is really about uh, in this city. Chris, I'd be remiss if I didn't double down on the sense of urgency that all three of my colleagues just um, um, articulated. Uh, the reality is that, you know, in America, we, we all suffer from some degree of experiential blindness. You know, there's, there's certain things that we don't, we, we don't see. It's, it's a nature of, of, of biases that we all bring into a room when we bring into a room. Uh, so it's so important to, first of all, recognize that, that, um, that individuals can see the same thing and see it very differently. Uh, this is a moment where we have so many people who are, who are, who are, who are yelling and screaming and, 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 and crying out for the voices to be heard, some who not had a chance to participate in the American economic experiment or the democratic experiment, uh, you know, since before they finished puberty. And this is a wonderful time to open up the doors uh, and, and allow all these voices in. And then let's see what we can learn from each other and figure out how we can move the country forward. And that's as it relates to uh, the, the issues around, um, around, around, around social justice, but, but also as it relates to the, uh, the, the challenges of the pandemic and the economic recovery that we're all gonna to have to participate in as we go forward. But this is a wonderful moment. All of us have had oh, uh, great uh, community planning sessions and, and, and visioning sessions. And you get a small number of citizens, usually the same ones who always show up, who have an opinion on everything. But now everyone's engaged. You know, a lot of us are still at home. It's a great way to get people in, involved in a way that helps you build a healthier, uh, more robust uh, community. And that's what we're also doing here in Columbia. So Mayor Lyles, 
as as has been described, the spirit of it's a new moment in time. Do you get do you get the sense it's harder to build consensus right now because of these polarizing issues that have come up, or as as Mayor Benjamin just said, is is there some glide slope toward more compromise, better understanding, et cetera? You know, I have to follow Steve a lot, and I'm going to add to this. It's not time for consensus yet because we haven't listened. Those that need to listen need to start listening more. Those that need to contribute to the discussion, the dialogue, the agony, the hurt, the pain, they need to be able to speak that more with a way that they can be heard. So we aren't looking quite for consensus yet. What I look at is, there, are we making changes um, that are necessary, that can be done in a way that people can live with them for the long term? And I'll give you a specific example. We're looking at police reform. Well, we are a city that's growing and we have to be safe. So we have to have the ability to have, why is the um, racial issue around policing so important? To, especially to those that don't understand it. And when you think about a city like Charlotte, our corporate community, our business community is doing really well at this time but they also have to pay attention to the social issues in our community. So I've had to actually widen the um, conversation, not just the activists and the advocates, but we need to bring the corporate and the business community in so that they can understand how the impact of policing on our streets impacts the business decisions that they make, especially around retention of jobs, mm -hmm. um, having people willing to relocate in your city, we are very fortunate, I have to say, in this time to be able to have a leadership group in the business sector that are saying, I need to get engaged. But we're also very fortunate that the advocates around race, the NAACP, our um, police department are all saying there has to be a change and we want to participate in this dialogue. Uh, Mayor Baldwin, I, I, I want to move it on to education because we could we could talk about this a lot, but education is also very front and center for us all right now. We're looking toward the fall. Mayor Bylyles just used this this term called tension, and I want to ask you about education. How it, it of course, North Carolina's Governor uh, Roy Cooper, as well as Henry McMaster in South Carolina, in the last week or two, have both come out with what they think that that schools should be doing. Certainly in your area, Wake County, but this tension, so as schools open, how do you maintain tension between public health, mental health, but also educational development? What is the right way forward and how do you lead in that way? Well, um, education is not part of our governance purview in, um, in Raleigh or um, in North Carolina. Um, we have a Wake County Board of Education, um, but we are, as they say, all in this together. Um, what the Wake County Board of Education decides to do um, impacts what our business community can do and the way we work with them. Um, it like they're going to they're talking to us about needing our community centers to hold programs and educational classes. Okay, how do we how do we all work together? How do we make sure that children are fed? These are the things that we've been doing all summer. Now, the tension, as you said, I call it balance, um, trying to find the right balance between public safety and education. Um, and in many ways, that's an individual choice. Um, in Wake County, um, we are going to have a um, online learning academy. Um, 
I think approximately 11 or 12% of our students have already signed up for that. There are parents who have different circumstances. We have to acknowledge that. Some have seniors living in their homes, their moms and dads. Um, some have um, their own health issues. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do is offer choice. And those choices um, are what everybody's gonna be grappling with. Daycare is a huge issue. How do you go to work? How do people who need that help the most um, and enable their children to go to school so they can go to their jobs? It's all the conversations we're having. Uh, Mayor Benjamin, uh, Mayor Barber, I want to come back to you about the economics, not just in the low country and along the Grand Strand, but in general. But Mayor, Mayor Benjamin, the idea of education, how do you use, as Mayor Baldwin just said, it's not really the city's purview in education. However, you've got a bully pulpit. People listen to you. You've got sway in Richland and Lexington counties. And oh, by the way, as you well know, those are two different counties. So how do you lead around what opening schools look like in the fall? Well, obviously it starts with constant communication. I, I started the day off at eight o'clock phone call with the chairman of our school board and texting the, uh, um, the superintendent of, our, of the neighboring school district. Uh, just trying to make sure they're sharing the very best ideas uh, that I, I could find uh, and they were before them. You realize that as you work your way through this pandemic, you, you got to break down every every intergovernmental barrier, every intersectoral barrier, and people have to constantly communicate. The reality is that we are struggling in the greatest democratic nation in the history of the world, the greatest economy the world has ever seen uh, right now with very basic decisions. And, it, and it, it's frustrating, I know, to, to mayors who have to regardless of party who have to live in the practicality of every single day, just getting the job done regardless, without regard to red, white, we're all focused on the red, white, and blue. And for our schools to be in the position that they are in right now uh, is, 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 um, is, um, uh, is shameful. Uh, they, they ought not be having to decide whether or not to put children and teachers back into an environment that might be unsafe. Uh, the reality is that the, the approach that America should take in, 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 until we get a vaccine is we should focus uh, aggressively on, 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 on testing, on contact tracing, and supportive isolation, and making sure that we, we, we put the horse before the cart so that we can uh, thoughtfully re-enter society in a way that, that, we, that we should be. Uh, and then, obviously, if we address the public health challenge, schools can start, the economy can, can get back on, on, on track, these devastating effects that we're seeing. I mean, so it's, it's, this is not rocket science, it's not hieroglyphics requiring the Rosetta Stone, it's just thoughtfully thinking through how you solve problems, and, and it's, it, it's frustrating to me as a parent of a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, uh, that, that I ha even have to make a decision about whether I send my children back to school as opposed to knowing that the forces that be, uh, not just, I'm not even talking about educators, educators, I'm, I'm very happy with the work they're be doing, but our governor uh, and, and our, our, our national uh, officials ought to be putting the building blocks in place so this ought not be a difficult decision for parents to make one by one. We, we can do better and we owe families more. And, and Mayor Barber, all of this is being done, of course, at the backdrop of the economy. And now we're coming up on, uh, coming up on the sunsetting of unemployment benefits that is going to no doubt affect a lot of people. So when you fold in the idea of economics, should there be another stimulus? What can the city do? What are you worried about around all of that? Well, with the city for our sustainability, of course, is our, our revenue 
stream has dropped because when you look at the revenues produced and, and, by our and let me business, just a second, by what factor has, has city revenue dropped? Half? Actually, um, compared to last year, this time we, we've dropped 60%. So we're only bringing in about 38% of revenues. So therefore, we have to look at uh, help from our federal government and also our state, and particularly with um, another stimulus package, we need those funds from the federal government to come directly to our local municipalities. Our largest cities, uh, which I think uh, uh, during the last stimulus package, only cities of a population of 500,000 more received indirectly, which left us in South Carolina without any stimulus money coming directly to the local cities. So municipalities where we're suffering, and of course the city of Georgetown, we're, we're, we are unique because we have our own revenue budget because we're a total utility city. We provide electric, water, everything. We own that. But in the, on the upswing, we do have light industry that is investing in the city of Georgetown that's providing some revenue, but we cannot replace the revenue lost during this pandemic. The other thing is, is when you look at um, the situation we're here, particularly on the coast, particularly this time of the year, we also have a pandemic to deal with, and we're moving into a hurricane season, which drastically impacts our, our economic um, stability here as a city. My main problem now is how do I sustain and keep the city running through a budget that we've cut, and we've cut basically because we have to be sustainable for at least the next 18 months to keep people employed so we can continuously uh, run the city and provide a service. Mm -hmm. So with everything that, that I'm seeing on the forefront and, and making an analysis just from a financial standpoint, it's good for me to have industry moving in, but I have to make sure that the restaurants, the retail shops, and the other um, revenue streams that we have that impact our, our water utilities, our electric utilities, that we have those revenue streams continue. Because right now what we're doing, we have payment plans for our businesses and our individual citizens to pay their uh, utility bills. So that's where we are now as, as a municipality that depends on that revenue stream. Now, Mayor Lyles, so the largest city in the Carolinas is not immune to that, right? I mean, what kind of hit have you taken to revenue? And do you feel like you can meet at least short-term obligations? Well, we are a city of over 500,000, so we got CARES money directly into our budget. Um, but what I would say to you is that we know that one in nine people in this city are employed in the hospitality industry. And we know what the pandemic has done for the hospitality industry. It's basically shut it down since um, April. And so we ended up using that CARES money to provide grants to small businesses, especially in hospitality, solo entrepreneurs, um, our main street businesses, beauty salons, barber shops, you know, the shoe repair people. And we took um, $30 million and we provided grants to small businesses so that they could adjust to this pandemic. And we're taking those kinds of opportunities to make it easy and simple, but to give them money, not lend them money, but to give them money so that they could focus on their businesses and not always be worried about access to capital. Access to capital is very important here. And we found that lesson out when we went through the Payroll Protection Act. So we are taking the CARES money and what we weren't allowed to do with the Payroll Protection Act, we've put it into hands of our small businesses. 
but we are still looking at the future. Our hospitality taxes, room taxes, our hotels are down completely, almost completely shut down. Our automobile taxes, all these things that we had coming in to build plans that will allow for us to um, have the city, center city that we wanted, they are down significantly. We won't know until September about property taxes, but looking at the unemployment rate, the closure of businesses, the number of bankruptcies, I am very concerned that our property taxes will be down significantly for the upcoming year. We reduced our budget 3% this year. I expect we'll see further reductions. And cities are so important to this um, concept of region, a concept to state, and then concept to a federal knitting together. Intergovernmental relations have got to get better. When March came, we were told, don't worry, July will be open for business. Everything will be just the same. It's July, and we are seeing the cases grow, the deaths increase. We have got to do something differently. Um, and it's not just about revenue at the city level, but it's revenue across this country that needs to follow public policy. We, I, I, I wish I didn't have to cut you off. We have less than a minute left, but Mira Baldwin, I'm gonna give you the last word here. And literally we've got about 30 seconds. Are you, as Mayor Lyles just outlined, what could be bleak and what seems bleak, are you optimistic over the next 12 months that a lot of the biggest challenges may be behind us or we can at least grapple with them better in about 30 seconds? We're going to face our biggest challenges and deal with them. I'm an optimist by nature. And um, I really believe that this is an opportunity. It's a historic moment for us to do the right thing and to change the way we're doing things. But quite frankly, you know, um, Vi and I spent um, time on a call the other day. We need help from our federal government. Mayor Baldwin, Mayor Benjamin, Mayor Lyles, Mayor Barber, thank you all for your leadership and thank you for being on the program. Thank, thank you, Chris. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, The Duke Endowment, Barings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you.